Amen. Open your Bible, if you would, please, today to the book of Psalm. If you stayed there, you got a head start. Uh, Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Praise God. So we're going to continue today with the Lord's help talking about the local church. I thought that uh, we might be coming to the end, and uh, I don't think so. As I've prayed and talked about it, the Lord said, no, you're not yet done. He's got some more to say to us about the local church. Glory to God. You know, Brother Copeland said that God told him that 2021 would be the year of the local church. The year of the local church. I agree with that. I believe the church is rising up after all that the church uh, around the world, as well as all people, has endured with the attack of the pandemic and different things. I just believe that God's going to cause His church to rise up more glorious, stronger. You know, this pandemic, nothing is going to prevail against the church. Not, not the church, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you, you know, individually, the moment you receive Jesus, you become a very important brick in the house of the Lord. You're a living member of the body of Christ. Amen? But uh, no brick is meant to sit there on a shelf by itself in a warehouse. Amen? but to be strategically placed in its spot with all the other bricks. The Bible says that God is building us a house, a habitation of the Spirit. In other words, when we come together, this is not a natural thing we're doing today. It's a supernatural thing. When we come together, God intends us to be His house. Amen. A habitation of the Spirit. Oh man, think about that. Not the building. Thank God for a warm place where we could come and be together. But Peter called us living stones. Living stones. Hallelujah. In our place. And when we come, and we come right, we come with revelation, we come expecting, then we become a house that God fills with His presence, with His Spirit. And I tell you, where God is, good things happen. Where God is, good things happen. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's emancipation from bondage. Amen. And I tell you what, if the world needs anything today, it is a place where they can come and get the bondage off of them. To get the chains broken. To get the cords of sin cut off of them. Glory to God. How precious, how wonderful is the local church. The house of God. Amen. Well, Psalm 69 Verse 9, way back 12 lessons ago on this subject, this is the verse we opened this series with, Psalm 69 and verse 9. And let this verse impact your heart. Let this verse uh, become a, a living thing on the inside of you. Let the words affect you. Amen? Praise God. The psalmist said, David said in Psalm 69, 9, for the, uh, excuse me, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Glory to God. For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Let me, let me give this to you in a couple different translations. The God's Word translation of the Bible says devotion for your house has consumed me. You know, if there's anybody here, you know, kind of anticipating, uh, you know, in a positive way, moving on from this subject of the local church, it may be necessary that we get this. That we get it, right? We really shouldn't, if the Holy Spirit is leading and, and God is emphasizing. Amen. And He is, as I've prayed and sought Him. This is what's alive and burning in my heart. Amen. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I... I believe I've heard from him on this. Well, he's not going to want us to just have our ears tickled with it and then move on to something else. No, he wants us to get it. And, and again, I'm not looking or trying to invoke an emotional response out of any of you today. But uh, praise God. Are you stirred up about the house of God? No good way to... Uh, you know, take your own spiritual temperature on this, we kind of have a little fun with this maybe, is to judge your own approach and attitude towards uh, church this morning. 
And don't, rhetorical question, please don't raise your hand. But how many of you were rooting to have church, and how many of you were rooting that God would lead pastor to have to a nice pajama time live stream service this morning? <laughs> Amen. Okay, praise God. Like I said, rhetorical question. So the God's Word translation said, David said, devotion for your house has consumed me. The New Living Translation says passion. I like this one, maybe the best. Passion for your house has consumed me. Amen. Is this describing someone who uh, is reluctant to come to church? Half-hearted about church? You know, kind of hoping when they go check the calendar that it's not their turn to work in the nursery? Hallelujah. Passion for your house has consumed me. The uh, Bible in basic English translation says, I am on fire with passion for your house. <laughs> Amen. And again, I'm not trying to invoke an emotional response. We shouldn't be led by our flesh anyway. But I'm talking about in here, inside. Do you have a revelation? What is your heart? What is your mind? What is your approach to God's house? How hot and on fire are you toward it? Amen. Did you bring devotion with you this morning? Did you bring, or did you just bring your body? <laughs> Amen. Go over with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Hallelujah. We talk, we've been talking about some good things, I think, and all these messages are... Uh, on our podcast for free. They're on our website. You can access them. wouldn't cost you anything. And I encourage you, feed along this line. Listen to these messages more than once. Amen. Go over them again and again. Glory to God. And we talked last week out of the book of Ephesians. You know, I thought when I had you turn over there last week that I was going to, you know, just breeze through there and we just camped out the whole service on there. Amen. But there in Ephesians chapter 5, you remember how it talks about Paul was teaching on marriage and how marriage should really work. And he's talking about the different roles that husbands have and that wives have in that relationship. But the analogy that he gave was Christ and His church. So husbands are to play, you know, to look at Jesus and His approach to the church to give husbands an example of what a good husband ought to be towards his wife. And it's all about, what's it all about? That If you remember Ephesians 5, it's all about how Jesus gave Himself and sacrificed Himself for the church. That's the way husbands ought to be. They ought to be ready, willing to sacrifice. Right? Their weekly card night with the boys. If necessary. Amen. You can't hold on to single life Amen. And be good in married life. Hallelujah. And then so wives, wives have an example in Ephesians chapter 5 about how to treat their husbands, how to approach their husbands. And remember, Jesus said the, the, role, the example there for wives is the church. That as the church is devoted to Christ, loyal to Christ, subject to Christ in all things, so should the wife be to her own husband. Amen. But we saw there that Jesus in that example, as the head of the church, He loved the church and He gave Himself for the church. Jesus is passionate about the church. You think David was consumed with devotion for God's house. Jesus really fulfilled that verse because there was a time in Jesus' earthly life when the disciples go, oh, I remember Psalm 69, 9. This is it right here. Remember, Jesus went to the temple one day early in His earthly life and ministry. And He showed up at the temple and He saw everything going on and what man had done to God's church. Could I call it that? Amen. And they had brought in wrong things, wrong motivations. There were wrong things going on. Uh, they had defiled the temple. Amen. And Jesus, He formed Himself a whip. In premeditated fashion, he sat out there and he braided himself a whip. And he went in there and he overturned all those money changers. Right? He drove out everybody that was in there. 
that had turned God's house into something it was not intended to be. And I believe today, the part of the shaking in the body of Christ today is the Lord spiritually, He's got a whip in His hand. And He's tired of what man has done to His church, how they've defiled it, how they've lowered it, how they've compromised it, how they've brought the world into it, into the church. And so there's a whip in the hand of the Master. Amen. And so after He did this, He was angry. And he, he did all that. He drove all that out and got all the wrong things out. He said, look, don't, don't, don't turn my father's house into a house of merchandise. Yeah. And the disciples said, in John chapter 2, the disciples said, ah, they recalled that zeal, it is written, zeal for mine house has eaten me up. And that was Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. I just think we ought to have a, a, you know, a measure of that kind of passion for God's house. Amen. Hallelujah. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 12, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said this, he said, Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts. Now the word gifts there is in italics, which means the translators put that English word in there to try to give us clarity. And sometimes that is helpful, but sometimes it's not. If you take that word out and read it separately, it says, even so, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual. That word spiritual in the Greek means things that pertain to the Spirit. Amen? And so, things that pertain to the Spirit, yeah, that has to do with spiritual gifts. But there's a whole lot more than spiritual gifts that relate to things that pertain to the Spirit. And so he's telling the Corinthians, you know, you, you, you Corinthians, you know, it's good. One good trait you have is you're zealous. You're passionate. You have passion. They were doing a lot of things wrong, but they had passion. Amen? And so in instructing them, he said, it's good that you've got this zeal for spiritual things. Then he gives this instruction. Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And I like this phrase. He said, seek to excel to the edifying. That word means to the building up of the church. Now again, we didn't go to our golden text this morning, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, upon this rock, what will I do? I will build my church. I will build my church. So if you're wondering, you know, 2,000 years into this thing, since, you know, since Jesus walked the earth, what is Jesus up to today? What is He emphasizing? What is He endeavoring to do? Jesus is endeavoring to build up the church. Now that means build you up because you're the church. He's not just talking, buildings are part of the plan of God, but buildings are not the church. You're the church. I'm the church. And collectively, corporately, when we come together supernaturally, we are the church. And He wants us to be built up. He's endeavoring to build you up. Amen? That's what He's passionate about. So as an individual, Jesus' approach towards you, He says, I want you built up in your mind. I want you built up in your marriage. I want you built up in your kids and in your family. I want you built up in your vocation and in your calling. I want you built up in the Word. I want you built up and equipped for spiritual things. I want you built up for ministry, built up for service. I want you built up for healing and for health. Hallelujah. Jesus doesn't want you broken down, sad, mad, addicted, broke, scared. No, the, the church that Jesus is going to present to the Father in Ephesians 5 is a glorious church. A church without spot. A church without blemish. Listen, Jesus is not coming back for a broke church. A powerless church, a scared church, a backslid church. There is a remnant church. Amen. That when Jesus returns, when the trumpet sounds and we're all caught away, that church will be glorious, mighty, on its feet, powerful, prosperous, anointed. Amen. Glory to God. And I'm going to have my part in that. Glory to God. And so there is this aspect that Jesus, what is He doing? He's doing everything He can from heaven's side. Working through His gifts and through His ministries to see you built up. Amen. 
Let me say something to us here that I think will help us and set us free. Do you know that it's not your job to change you? How many of you, you got some areas in your life that need changing? And you know they need changing. I've got, some, you know, I've got, I haven't arrived. I've got a lot of areas. You don't walk around with me all the time. If you did, you'd find out pretty quick. He's human. Amen. What I'm operating up here, you know, in this capacity is an anointing and a grace and a ministry to help you. But you get me out of that, I'm just as human as anybody. I haven't arrived. Amen. But I, I like to go way back when where I, where I really started in that dark hallway, drunk and suicidal at a frat party with a beer in one hand, a bottle of pills in another. That's where my journey started. Amen. And, but here's the thing. I couldn't change myself. I, wasn't, I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have the power. I didn't have the will. I didn't know. And so many, I see them precious. They know they need to change. Their spouse told them they need to change. You know, And, and they, they know they need to change, but they don't have the stuff. And the world's not going to give you what, you what you need to really be transformed. To really be the person that God called you to be. Listen, I encourage you, if you can, come to mentoring. We're talking about the plan of God. We got, I got so stirred up about Ephesians 1.4. Don't turn there. You know where it says, He chose us. He chose us. He chose us. When did He choose us? In Him, before the foundation of the world. And when He authored your life, before the earth was a rock, He authored your life in His plan. And He saw your birth, and He saw your life, and He, and he didn't envision and author a broke, sick, defeated, addicted, wounded, dark, satanically oppressed, broken down life. He authored your life to be His son, His daughter, in His kingdom, in fellowship with Him, victorious. Come on. Amen. But then there was the fall and there was sin and there was everything that's happened to you in your life up till now. Amen. What God needs from us is for us to throw our heart open wide and say, Oh, Father God, I need you. Move in my life. Work in my life. Have your way in my life. Change me, God. And He will. It's not your, you, you are not both the clay and the potter. You understand that? You're a lump of clay. And if you will just say yes to the potter, amen. If you're a defiled, impure lump of silver or gold, you're not the refiner. You're not the blacksmith of your own life. God is that. And He's got a great future for all of you. And everything hindering you, everything that Satan's done up to now, God is well-equipped. It is not hard for Him to break that off of you, change your mind, heal your memory, repair your marriage. Now in marriage, see, it takes two. It takes two. Because you can have one that get this and say, you know what, I am going all in with God. And the other one says, well, I'm not. Well, see, it does take two. But I tell you, if, if husband and wife, no matter how bad it is, if you'll both just throw yourself and humble yourself at the mercy of God and invite God to move, He will work on both of you. He will mold you. He will shape you. Now, a blacksmith, you know, while he, that, that iron, that steel is being molded into a sword, that, doesn't look, that whole process doesn't look real comfy and comfortable. <laughs> For the steel, does it? I mean, they're going to put you in the fire and pull you back out. Going to put you on something hard and pound you. Some of us, we come in with drugs, we come in with alcohol, we come in with a broken mind, we come in with all sorts of sinful attitudes and wrong thinking, and the pastor's going to come in and that anointing's going to come on pastor. And I'm going to put you in, you're going to come to church and you're going to sit in my forge, and I'm going to pull you back out, I'm going to go, BAM! And I flattened you out a little bit. Come on, and it doesn't take one strike to make a sword. Boom, boom, boom. Back in the fire. Boom. Not in, not in anything, you know, I'm being aggressive there. Hallelujah. 
But I'm just telling you, people, this is one of the things that irks me, okay? It's just me, inside into me. And it's, the, the society is so wimpy out there. We're just so wimpy, aren't we? Amen. I mean, you know, the whole woke culture. You got to speak soft and you got to speak, you got to speak my truth. And we're never going to end up as God's designed finished product if we aren't willing to come and say, confront, confront me in love with the truth. Confront me. Speak the truth in love to me, Pastor, because so I, so I can receive it and change and be changed. Not your job to change yourself. It is your job, what God needs from you. Put yourself in a position to be changed. Just put yourself in a position to be changed. What does that mean? Some very simple things. Number one, pray. When you pray, when you, when you begin a conversation with God, He is going to come in. and He will work on you. You'll just, if you'll just hang out in His presence. 2 Corinthians 3, around verse 18, says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's liberty, there's emancipation from bondage. So you just got to get where the... If you need to be free, you just need to get where the Spirit of God is. Not in some dry, dead, we don't want the Holy Ghost kind of church. And in your own approach toward God, you want the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. He is your helper. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's living on the inside of you. He is the resident power of God in the earth. Woo! Praise God. I tell you what, you know, I, I was moving towards God, but I had, God had given me some things like laying down beer and laying down cigarettes and laying down chasing girls and laying down, uh, what else do you want me to lay down? Oh, He told me, get rid of all your friends. He said, get rid of all your friends. There's not one of them I want you to keep. Amen. And for me as a college kid, these were, these were, these were big things to me. And, but when I, and I was making progress. You know, I tell you what, if your heart is hungry and you're in the Word, you're going to make progress. But after I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I just cannot tell you. When I was filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues, I had a power. That's what the whole being baptized with the Spirit is. It's being endued with power from on high, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so you're born of the Spirit, but when the Spirit comes upon you in power, well, baby, you've got some ability now. You've got some power now you did not have before. And what I was struggling with before that just fell away was easy for me because I had extra power i had more fire than i had before and so just very quickly i laid all that down they've been they've been buried and in the past all that time see we need the holy spirit we need power but see you just have to you just have to say yes to god uh, so being in god's presence number two uh is um coming to church Amen. Church is a transformation place. It's a place to be changed. I would say this, if you're not being confronted to change, when you go to church, you're in the wrong church. You're just in the wrong church. If, if all that you perceive, if you actually pay attention wherever you are and wherever you go, what is happening to me as I come? What is happening? Am I being petted constantly? Am, am all of I ever being, is I'm being, my flesh is being catered to? You could tell that there's a, there's a definite decision coming from church leadership to accommodate the flesh, make it easy, make it sweet, make it comfortable, pat everybody on the back just because they came in. I'm not a big patter on the backer. And if that's why you're coming to church so the pastor can pat you on the back, you may be here 10 years before I ever get to you. I'm not trying, I'm, I'm, I'm approachable, but I'm just saying, I, I just don't feel like my job is to cheerlead people just because they came in the front door. But I tell you, coming in through the front door is putting yourself in a place, right? Now, you shouldn't come to church all the time and, and just, you should be edified, you should be challenged, you, but there, it should be coming from a heart of love. Amen. 
Glory to God. And I know that. Amen. And I'm endeavoring to let the love of God flow through me when I preach. Amen. Praise God. Not perfect. Amen. But I, I love, I fly all over the world, fly in the, all over the country to sit in the front row where Dr. Jacobs is ministering, where he can go pow. You know, I'll fly, I buy airline tickets, spend money on hotel rooms, all so that I could be the steel on his, what do you call that thing? That anvil so he could beat on me a while. Because I know I'm not done. Now, when I say beat, I mean shape. Shape me under that anointing. Shape me under the Word of God and the moving of the Spirit. So when you bring... And listen, this is why you not only need to be changed, your children need to be changed. They need to be touched. They need to be raised up. So, you know, dads and moms, you need to make sure your kids are in church on a regular basis. So that's number two. So number one... Uh, it's not your job to change yourself. It's your job to put yourself in a position for God to change you. Number one, that's be in His presence. Number two, come to church. Number three, read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is like a mirror. Amen. And when you behold, 2 Corinthians, when you behold the Word of God as in a glass, there is a reflection but when you look into the mirror of the Word, can I borrow your Bible, Elizabeth? When, when I look into the mirror of the Word, there's, that's, that's a supernatural mirror. You know, in the mirror I have at home, it's just going to give me an accurate reflection of what I look like on the outside right then. And when I get into the Word of God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tell the truth about me. So if I'm lusting after a girl and this thing says, do not lust, you commit adultery when you do, well, that's going to be, whoa, that's going to be a... You know, whoa, man, that's a, I just got reflected upon. So that, that is one aspect of the word. It's going to tell the truth to you. It'll reveal your true condition. But at the same time, all of the promises and all the verses about who you are in Christ and what he's called you to be, as you fellowship with those words, the image that is the word will be transferred and burned on you. And over time, you're going to be molded and shaped more and more and more into the image of Christ. So every time you open your Bible and read it, you are giving God an opportunity to burn his image on your spirit and on your soul. And your life won't be transformed in a day, amen, or a moment. To be born again, man, that, that's instant. Your eternal destiny has changed. You're, you were In that moment, you were a child of the devil on your way to hell. And over here, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And boom, you're a new creation. But you still got that body. And you still got all, those, all that mindset that you had. And so your next assignment after getting saved, and we've had some people get born again recently, you, the, what's paramount for you is to get in the water, get water baptized, plant yourself in, in a local church under the pastor of God's choosing and begin to read your Bible with desperation and grow. Come to church every time the doors are open and grow. But it ought to set you free. My job is to just cooperate with God by putting myself in a position, amen, where God can change me. See, if I could have changed myself into perfect Christ-like perfection, I'd have done it already. <laughs> Amen? All right. Now you know, there aren't any perfect people here. I mean, if we said, you know, I'm, I'm a visitor here today and I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, we might have had the perfect church, but by you showing up, you ruined it. <laughs> no, there, no, come on, there are no perfect people. If I was the only one here today, we'd be a very imperfect church. Not about that. It's about, is there a hunger in you? Is there an openness in you? Is there a sincerity in you? Is there an honest assessment that, you know, you need God in your life and you need God in your family and you need God in your marriage? <laughs> and wow, what a deal. All I have to do is not run from the fire. Don't run from the place of change. That's what people have. People come to church like ours and they stay here two or three weeks and then 
if it, if it didn't happen the first 15 minutes, by the third service, I've said something that pets their fur backwards, and bless God, they are getting their stuff, and they are out of here. It's just too hot in the kitchen. But, you know, all that really is, if it was the Word of God, all that, all that you really felt was the strike of the, of the blacksmith. Don't run from that because it went dang, and you, you know, if you let that settle and simmer, you might get out... By lunch, you might go, you know what, I feel, I feel good, I feel different. I, I feel like I'm fortified. I feel like I got slack jerked out of my chain. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. So that, that, none of that was on my notes. Those three things. I tell you, just totally transform your life. Have enough faith to open your Bible and really... Read it with sincerity, looking for the power that's in those words to begin to affect your mind. You know, when you read the, when you read the word, go into it like this. Say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. And everything I read, here's my thing. I'm going to let, I'm going to think what that word says. And if I think contrary or different to what that word says, I'm going to change. Because the Bible's not going to change. God's not going to change. It's you that needs to change. Hallelujah. And so again, you know, you, you talk about just uh, the, the, uh, the local church and the role it has in the plan of God to shape and change people's lives. Individually. Families. Come on. Whole families. The course of a family's life. Altered and changed. Well, how much regard and how much value should we have for the local church? Because we haven't had this kind of teaching a lot in our generation, you know, it's, it's not, it's not to the necessarily to the fault of the people that they have a low regard for the church. You know, Brother Hagin said this, I'd like you um, to go, uh, and I'd say we're definitely 75% done for today, okay? So just let you know where I think we are. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I just like to encourage people, give them, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel here. You know, Eutychus, he's a young man in the book of Acts. He fell out a third story window because Paul was preaching too long. That's what he thought. He fell asleep and broke his neck. But he was sitting under the right man of God because that man of God went down there and fell on him and raised him up from the dead. And you know what he did? Took him back in and finished preaching his sermon. I'm not planning on preaching here that long. It's just 11.46, y'all. We're doing good. Did I say 2 Timothy? I mean 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so I'm praying for you all and letting, and I'm praying for me too that God would give us not just knowledge, head knowledge, but a new and fresh revelation of how vitally important the local church is. Amen, and we need to let that understanding shape in a new way our approach to the church. Amen. And what I want to finish with today, I've been trying to get here for about three services, is how to come to church. And you know that, that it's not, it doesn't just matter that we come. It's, it's such a key how we come. And how we come is going to shape to a great degree what God is able to accomplish in our midst. Amen. You know, it's, it's not like God is approaching it this way. If they'll just show up, I'm going to move in a glorious way. No. No, 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 no. Amen. It, it matters uh, our approach as we come. And so, I want to say this before we read 1 Timothy 3.15, and that is, you know, you understand that there is an individual anointing. You know, as Sarah, she's an individual member of the body of Christ, vitally important. Just her. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is in her and on her, and there is an anointing that's on her for her life, for her call. Amen? And, and to, for her part in the body. But that's true for every single one of us in the family of God. 
The second type of anointing is the corporate anointing. Now, the corporate anointing is the power of God and the grace of God that's available on a body when we all bring our individual anointings together. So see, here's one of the the great things that we need to understand about neglecting worship, neglecting coming to church. By staying home purposefully and neglecting, and I'm not talking about vacation, and I'm not talking about a head of work shift, I'm not talking about that, right? Don't get under bondage. But I'm just talking about an attitude that is okay neglecting church. That the individual anointing that's on you and nobody else, you didn't bring. And so that nugget, that contribution to the corporate anointing is absent. And so in a sense, by selfishly saying, I'm fishing today, you know, or whatever, then, uh, then what you're anointing, just by coming with the right heart, mind, and attitude, amen, what you should have brought, you did not bring. And it's not there. But when we come, and we come with knowledge, and we come with faith, and we come with honor, and we come with revelation, then the anointing I have, and the anointing Stacy has, and the anointing that Carrie has, and the anointing we all have, and we, we come with the intent of releasing that and being available, then that corporate anointing, what God is able to do for people in our midst is stronger, greater, more powerful. So people come to church, they say, where's the miracles at? Where are all these miracles? We shouldn't be asking that. We should, what the question we should be asking is, what are we not doing? What are we missing? What are we not bringing to the service that is hindering God from performing miracles? That's the question we ought to ask. You know, when a tragedy happens, the, the, question, the, the question is not, why didn't God? Why did God? That's not the question. That's not the question. How come God? That's not the question. The question really is, what, why wasn't God able to move for that person? Why was God not free, permitted to move in that person's life? How did the devil get in there? That's what I ask. How did the devil get in there and do that? I want to know so I can, if I can, if I can, I can shut that door to the enemy. But see, every single one of us, see, if you're called to this family, there's an anointing on you. And it's specific to Noah. Amen. And just by Noah making the effort to come, and come in honor, and come and sit, and come receive, and come expecting, he probably has no idea. We probably could all come up and realize how important that is to what God's able to do in the overall aspect of the service. Amen? All right. 1 Timothy 3, 15. So Paul... Uh, a spiritual father is writing to a pastor, Timothy. And uh, praise God. Look, look at verse 14 and 15. It says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto you shortly. But if I tarry, or if, I'm, if I am delayed, that you may know how you ought to behave. Hello. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I don't know how you think, but this is how I think. If there's a way to behave in the house of God, then what's that mean? There's a way not to behave. Right? And notice the Holy Spirit is on Paul taking up real estate in the Bible to remind Timothy, to remind all his people that there are house rules. He's saying, Timothy, I'm coming to you and I've got a ministry, but in case I'm delayed, I'm writing these things to you so that you as the pastor might know how people ought to behave when they come to church. See, there's a way to behave. There's a way to conduct yourself in the house of God. And that tells me there's a way not to. 
and how we come affects what can happen. <laughs> I don't know. Are y'all ready for this? Glory to God. Amen. Well, glory to God. How should we behave? How should we behave in the house of God? I like the message translation of this. The message translation says this way, I hope to visit you soon, but just in case I'm delayed, I'm writing this letter so you'll know how things ought to go in God's household. Amen. And see, so Paul is holding Timothy, Pastor Timothy, to account. See, it's going to be Timothy. Amen. It's going to be Timothy that's going to be held to account if people in his church don't know how to conduct how things ought to go in the house. So see, I have a solemn responsibility as a pastor. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 that everything that should happen in our midst should be done decently and in order, and that we should all be seeking to excel, to go above and beyond in the building up of the church. Amen. I don't want to be a mediocre pastor. I want to seek to excel in bringing my part to build up the local church. Hallelujah. So let me, uh, in closing, say a few things to us that I think will be helpful. And parents, we need, to, we need to pass these things on to our kids. And we need to model these things before our children. Don't do this whole do as I say but not as I do kind of thing. So in, in making these final comments, I, I got a hold of a, a book from Reverend Joel Siegel uh, called What Happened to Honor. And we've had that as book of the month and in our bookstore before, and I'm ordering some more. But if you have that book, you ought to get it out. And he's got a chapter in there called Honor for the Local Church. And he begins that chapter with this statement. I just, I just like this so much. He said, I think, Joel Siegel, I think Christians have heard the phrase for so long, come as you are, that they think it applies to them. How many of you have heard that phrase, come as you are? Come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. That's what you know, churches proclaim. We want you to come as you are. And Reverend Joel says, I think I, Christians have heard that phrase, come as you are for so long, that they think it applies to them. The invitation to come as you are is an invitation to sinners. It's an invitation to those who don't know Jesus. It's an invitation to the lost. Because come as you are is the only way they can come. They don't have any ability. They don't have God in them. They're not born again. Right? The only way an unbeliever, a sinner can come, a lost person can come is as they are. And that's the way we want them. But don't think that the phrase come as you are applies to you. Because it doesn't. Tell that to Ananias and Sapphira. They came waltzing into church one day under the guise thinking they got away with deceiving the church and the leadership into thinking that they gave a bigger offering to the work of God than they really gave. And Ananias came in first and fell dead in church. And Sapphira comes in about three hours later not knowing what happened. The same question was posed to her, did you give so much? <laughs> she said, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's the secret deal I made with my husband, didn't you know? And she fell dead in the church. And what happened in the church service that day is some pallbearers called ushers came in and picked up their dead Christian corpses and buried them in the church backyard. That's kind of an extreme example, isn't it? But that's what, the, that's what happened. Amen. Tell that to the guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that was come to church, but he was having relations with his stepmom. And Paul said, I'll tell you what I've done. I've already turned him over to the devil so that his flesh could be destroyed, that his spirit hopefully might be saved before he crosses some line. Mm-mm-mm. I know those are extreme examples, but they're all in the New Testament. So the phrase, come as you are, doesn't apply to us. That's our invitation to the lost. So Reverend Joel Siegel, he goes on in that chapter and says, Christians should learn, we have to learn, right? To come as they should, 
Christians should come, right? And learn to come as they should. Well, how should we come? Well, let me just strike the anvil a few times before we leave. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, praise God. We should come with a high regard in our heart and mind attitude toward what is happening and what we want to happen, what can happen. It begins with an attitude of the heart. Right? And so, you know, unless you just live right across the street, you've got a little bit of a drive time. You could take that drive time to set yourself to come as you should to pray for the service, to stir yourself up with passion and excitement about how God's going to speak to you, that God's going to minister answers for your life. Amen. And release faith for someone that needs God to have their miracle and their breakthrough and their word from God to come forth. Amen. How should believers come to church? Well, they should not come in flat. And they should not come consistently tired. You know, it's, it's just not, we should not come to church tired all the time. Now, coming to church tired because you, you had something going and you pressed through the flesh and you're there anyway, that's an honorable thing. But to come to church exhausted and tired and become a head bobber in the front row on a consistent basis because you're staying up binge-watching Netflix every Saturday night. That's not how you should come to church. Giving your best to a worldly activity and getting some snooze time while pastor's preaching. That is not how you should come to church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. Here's, here's the sacred cow in the modern church today. We should learn to come as we should uh, with the clothes we wear. And there ought to not be any fashion police and, and the, the standard about Sunday dress or going to come to church dress should not be a, a fashion contest and, and coming to church dressed as the nines. But there ought to be some thought and some regard for the event, for what's happening, for the holiness of it. For the sacredness of it. It doesn't mean, you know, it's not like denim is the, uh, the antichrist power of God against healing or the anointing. You know, I, that's not what I'm saying. But there should be a regard. You know, there used to be a thing called Sunday best. And I, I like that. I think we should revive Sunday best. What's God? What's the place worthy of? If people say... Pastor, you're off here. Clothes don't matter. Well, you thought about clothes when you went to that job interview, didn't you? You had a, you had a thought process, if you're smart, about what would be appropriate. Now, if you're going to a job interview for a, a construction outfit, you ought to not show up there probably in an Armani suit. I wouldn't hire that guy either. But to come disheveled and... Right? You know what I mean. So see, you know, how many of you know uh, people thought, they had, a, they had a thought, they had maybe even had a conversation about what they were going to wear before they went to a funeral. So the whole process of sharing some memories and laying a person's body in the ground, is that a higher thing? Then coming into God's house where the Word of God and the angels are ministering and the Holy Spirit could manifest Himself and the oracles of God should come forth. I'm just asking. Amen. See, we thought about clothes before we went to a wedding. We thought about this kind of stuff. Amen. Now listen, you don't have to agree with me on this. You don't have to get... Don't get mad, don't get all that. But I'm just telling you, there's an honor part. Notice that when the, uh, the prodigal son was away from God, his hygiene, his presentation, everything went downhill, didn't it? So when he was away from God and out in the world, his presentation went down. The moment he got right back with God and he came back with, into his 
right relationship with his father. What was happening there? The first thing as part of restoration was put some sandals on my son's feet. Put the robe, go get the robe and put it on his back. Go get the ring and put it on his finger. In other words, there's a, there's a whole thing that goes with being a child of God. I just think that, it, I know this is a touchy subject. Amen. Because we live in a casual culture that I just believe that we ought to give God our best, whatever that is. We ought to give God our best, whatever that is. And that, that, don't come in here with a tuxedo on Sunday. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. Amen. But I tell you what, I will say this. If you aspire to leadership and influence in this church over time, you're going to have to adapt to me, not me to you. It's not about, you know, a dress code. It is about honor behind it. You know what I mean? about honor behind it glory to God well we'll get off of that because that went over like a really I knew it would praise God amen you know how we ought not be in service is on our phones you ought not be on your phone updating your social media checking your to-do list responding to text messages Chatting back and forth with other people in the sanctuary while pastor's preaching? Don't think that I don't know. That's dishonorable. That's disrespectful. That's showing a disdain for the moment. And then don't, please don't leave that service and go, Pastor Billy didn't have a lot of anointing on him today. Don't, 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 don't. No. We just ought to not be doing that. We ought to come to church and lock in. Lock in. Amen. And focus. Now, if you have a, a phone out and, there's, and I come along and there's a Bible on there and you're following along, that's fine. But if that's a distraction for you, get yourself a paper Bible. Get yourself a bound Bible. And it would do you good anyway to learn how to navigate a paper Bible. You know, in this cancel culture, they may cancel all the Bible apps one day. To get you a paper Bible. Hallelujah. But come in tired, come in flat, come in with no expectation, come in with no regard. I mean, here's another thing a lot of people can miss just to help us, we're all learning, is uh, don't, don't come in pre-service and over-talk about natural, carnal, worldly things. You do that all week long, right? And that's appropriate. And it's okay as we're mingling a little bit. Amen. To talk about, I know Super Bowl Sunday and, and all of this, but see, if we just so, if all we do before we step in here is talk about comic books and the latest thing and what's going on here and worldly stuff, it's not sinful, but it's just natural, then how are you going to quickly shift over in here and get in the flow of the Spirit during praise and worship? That's why most people just sit there like they're, because. They're all in the worldly mindset. Now they come into a spiritual atmosphere and they, it takes them a while to hook on. God can accomplish more if you can hook on faster. Pastor, I sure love the services to get a little shorter. Hook on faster. Hook on faster. <laughs> what if God said, you keep the people, if they'll be here, doors unlocked, but you keep them here until they are hooked on and receive what I have for them. You, some people might be here till 9 o'clock tonight. <laughs> Amen. See, these are little things. Now, I was, raised, I was saved Baptist and I was raised Methodist. And I, I, they put an a honor and a respect in me for the church service. I don't do that here, but my pastor, they wore a robe. They all wore, you know, and they had a robe and they were distinguished. And, and they came out and... And you all heard my story, right? I mean, there's over like five, six, seven hundred people up there and in the church, and I'm in the balcony, and I'm I'm four, I'm four seats from the door. And I'm in the balcony and I gotta go potty. And I step up and I'm going like this to the door, and my pastor, he stopped in his mid-sermon. I mean, he stopped mid-sermon, and like Babe Ruth, he pointed to the home run, he said, Hey Cody, sit down. You need to hear what I have to say. 
You know, I forgot all about having to potty. <laughs> that whole thing left me. You know, I, don't, I didn't get mad at him. But there was just, and listen, it's okay if you really got to go. But I mean, parents teach your children. You need to go to the bathroom? You better go because pastor's going to preach till 2, 12, you know, 12. <laughs> See, all this moving around, all this up and down, all this mingling around, and then chat, chatty, chatty, chatty. That, that, and that doesn't happen a lot here, but it should never happen. Let me, let me close with this uh, quick story and, and we'll let you go. Um, Dr. Jacobs, I wasn't at this meeting. I've been with Dr. Jacobs. Um, my wife has. And, and Faith has had an opportunity to go down once down to Mexico. And uh, I tell you what, you know, you go down there and those Christians down there, they are hungry. They are hungry. And, and they, they just have this honor and regard. And so... You know, uh, they had planned a special meeting for Dr. Jacobs, and Dr. Jacobs, is pray, he's traveled, got passport, gone down there, spent his own way, hotel, and he's preaching. And the anointing comes on him, and he is about to minister. He's got people in the altar that have responded to a need for prayer. They have cancer in their bodies. And so he begins to minister to these precious believers that have cancer in their bodies. And all of a sudden, he gets down, I don't know how many, ministering, and the anointing of God for healing just flies away like a bird off his shoulder. It's gone. Now, you could keep praying, but without the anointing, you're not going to get anywhere. So he looks up and goes, hmm, what is going around? Now, in this room, they were actually meeting in a school. And they, in the back, there was a bunch of cabinets with Oreos and Pepsis in it. And a big group of adult Christians had gone into the back, opened the cabinets, and broke out the Pepsi and the Oreos and was chowing down on a snack while the man of God is up endeavoring to minister healing to these cancer patients. Here's what I want you to see in that. He didn't know that was going on. What he noticed was the notice that the anointing for healing flew away. Why do you think it flew away? Dishonor. The Holy Ghost was grieved because of the disrespect and the dishonor for the holiness and the sacredness for the anointing, for the move of the Spirit, for those people's needs, and for the moment overall. Now, if you know anything about Dr. Jacobs, can you imagine how he responded when he saw that? He screamed at him. I won't scream at you. I've already screamed at you once today. I, I, but he screamed at him. Put that down. Put that back. And he talked about, what, was it? what if this was your mother? What if this was your mother? What if this was your dad? You would want them to be healed. Put that all away. Well, they did. And they sat back down. And the anointing came back on them. And the anointing came back on him. And he was able to continue and minister. They had a great meeting. But Brother Hagin talks about services where the anointing came on him and the anointing flew away and never did come back. So what was, whatever was the potential for miracles and for healings in that service, that was lost. And a lot of times he would say there was all this, they knew we were getting toward the end of the service. And so people wanted to get to their car fast. And so they got up and disturbed the service and moved the Spirit so they could get to the parking lot first. See, I'm just telling you, you may not have thought this way. I'm not attacking you. We need to think. We need to think. We need to think about our approach. And we ought to, you know, if you're just sitting there, listen, if someone's being healed or being delivered or set free or saved, Come on, or getting right back right with God. You should be praying during that time. Or at least just sit quietly and reverently out of respect for what God's doing in those people's lives right then. Because someday it could be you that's in need of a miracle. Right? And there might be a lot of things that the Holy Spirit might say if you were open to just 
Meditate on 1 Timothy 3.15. How ought we to behave? Right? I mean, I could go on and on with this. But it, just these simple, practical matters. It, it matters more than we just, Pastor, I showed up. <clears throat> God, have your way. It, it's not like that. Right? It's not like that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's stand up on our feet today.